Today we celebrate the memorial of St. Teresa of Avila, and I was about to read the memorial uh, opening prayer for Teresa uh, St. Therese of Lisieux. Uh, so the, I got my Teresas mixed up. Uh, this is the original Teresa, though, and she actually was the lady that inspired uh, Therese of Lisieux to take. So Therese of Lisieux took her name from Teresa of Avila. And then actually Mother Teresa as well uh, took her name from uh, St. Therese of Lisieux. So you got these three Teresas right in a row. Um, one, one mother giving, giving spiritual birth to another, to another, and all three very, very great saints. Uh, but this first is the original one, okay? And she, uh, was a Spanish Carmelite who was involved in reforming the Carmelite order. I think maybe my point today is just the point of humility and then also the idea of being open in humility, being open to truth, open to reality, and open to the voice of God. Uh, we, in our responsorial psalm, we got, to, or, I'm sorry, in our gospel acclamation, if today you hear his voice, harden not your heart. So the importance of the Christian being open to the voice of God. Okay. In our gospel, Jesus is condemning the people who are rejecting him because they're seeking a sign. They're saying, well, unless you give us a certain sign, we're not going to believe you. Now, Jesus gave a lot of signs. I mean, he really was renowned as a miracle worker. Uh, the first reason why people followed him is because he healed people and he expelled demons. So he was a healer and an exorcist. That was the number one reason why he got a following. And then it was really only after that that people were, had the ears to hear, to, to listen to his teaching. But if he didn't, if he wasn't a healer, I, I don't know if he would have made any progress. People would have maybe appreciated him as a rabbi, but there, there really would not have been the following that he had. So he was working signs big time, big time. Um, so it's not so much that the people who were rejecting him were seeking a sign, it's that they were seeking a sign on their own terms. What Jesus was already giving them wasn't enough. Okay? Wasn't enough. I want something more. So what, you raise someone from the dead? Well, let's see if you can raise 50 people from the dead. One person, okay, that's not good enough for me. You know, so it's basically saying to God, you've got to meet my preformed expectations. And if you don't, well, then I, I don't believe in you. And when we, when we look at, at contemporary um, atheists, I think that you find in common, and it's always neat to read the stories of atheists who grew out of their atheism and actually came to believe in God. Um, and what they say, and then also what can be observed from people who remain atheists, is that they set the bar unreasonably high. They say, okay, well, if God exists, then this is what would be the case. All right? He'd have to show up in the middle of the sky, and he'd have to do uh, a pirouette and a and a you know tap dance for me, right right in the sun. And he have to do that on Monday, on Thursday, and on Friday. And if he doesn't do, if he just if he misses Friday, I don't believe in him. Point is, is that all the atheists, as they transition out of their atheism, they came to see that they were arbitrarily setting the standard for what they were going to consider proof and reasonable sign of God's existence. And God. God doesn't do that. The bar is lower than the atheist wants to set it, but it's not so low 
that God expects us to be a bunch of morons and to follow him without any kind of involvement of our reason. He has given sufficient signs. He very much has given sufficient signs. But they're not so overpowering that we've got no choice in the matter, that it takes away all our freedom, that it doesn't involve faith. Okay, So God speaks to us through reality, through, through nature, and also through his prophets that, he's, that he has sent and the different miracles that they've worked. And uh, that's a sufficient amount of, of signage. Okay, That's a sufficient amount of proof. And it, it's not... It's enough to make us um, follow him and believe him and to give assent to his authority in a reasonable, prudent manner. But it's not enough to take away that space of freedom where we have to make a choice to follow him. You know, God's not going to come down and like tie our hands behind our back, shout in our ear, you're coming with me, buddy. You're going straight into heaven. No, whether you like it or not. Okay, he's not, <laughs> not going to do that. Okay. So he, he wants a response on our part. And it's the stubbornness and the pride of many of Jesus' audience that Christ is, is condemning in the gospel. Um, now, in contrast to all that, you've got, you've got Teresa of Avila. And she was a, a remarkably humble woman. Humble, I can think of three incidences why she was so humble and, and open to the voice of God. She was, uh, had been a religious for maybe 20 years or so. She was a nun for 20 years or maybe more before she, and, and she had a major conversion. So she was already a religious sister. And, uh, already, I mean, she was praying every day. She was doing, uh, living a very sacrificial life, totally cloistered. Um, and yet she had so much more, so much farther to go. And through a series of events, people that she met. I think John, St. John of the Cross was instrumental in her in her growth. She came to a point where she had such a significant change and, and growth that it was almost like a, a total conversion. It was almost like she was an unbeliever before, and then afterwards she was a totally new person. And I want to tell you, the kind of humility that that takes is amazing, right? If you're a religious sister and you've been doing your thing for 20 years, you've been following the rule of your order, and you are, and you have to come to the point to say, like, you know what? I haven't even begun my spiritual life. I need conversion. That takes a lot of humility. That takes a lot of humility. Uh, so number one, number two, when she set out to reform the the Carmelite order, she she was the her and Saint John of the Cross started the the male and the female order of the Discalced Carmelites. And uh, so when she set out to reform the Carmelites, she re- she met so much resistance, so much resistance. St. John of the Cross himself was actually put in prison by members of his religious order. Remember at this time in Spain, the church and state lines were very much, you know, not, not very clearly distinct. So sometimes the church used some incredibly coercive measures to keep discipline. And St. John of the Cross was put in prison. He was even tortured. <laughs> Okay, because he was meeting very strong resistance within the Carmelite order because he wanted to reform it. And they're like, no, we'll have none of it. We don't want any reform whatsoever. And uh, that, so the kind of humility, though, that it takes, St. John of the Cross never complained about his tortures. His body was never the same after his tortures. He had serious damage done to his body. He never once wrote about it, never talked about it. And you'd only know about it by his biographers and those people who were close to him who knew about it. St. Teresa of Avila the same way, you know. Um, 
Can you imagine being locked in a room, cloistered nun, with like 25 gossiping ladies for like 40 years? It's, it takes a lot of humility to live in that situation, okay? And then to try to get those 40 ladies to actually be reformed and to, and to really significantly change how they live their lives takes an amazing amount of humility. A third thought of why Teresa is so, so humble is that she is responsible for writing some of the most important, uh, mystical treatises in the, in the tradition, in the history of the church. She's actually considered a doctor of the church. And there's only like 20 doctors of the church. Um, she's considered a doctor of the church. I think she might have been the first woman who was, uh, officially sort of declared by the magisterium as a doctor of the church. So she's written very significant works. Uh, the Interior Castle is one of the, is one of her, her major ones. And uh, she only wrote those because her spiritual director commanded her to. Can you imagine that? She didn't even think she had anything worthwhile writing about. She didn't think that she had even worth anything worthwhile speaking to the world. And her spiritual director was like, uh, yeah, you, you really have something to write. Write it. And, and she writes purely under obedience. And as she did, she left the world one of the most important spiritual treatises ever written. Most, one of the most significant sources of, of Carmelite and Catholic spirituality uh, in general. So that, that is my, my brothers and sisters. That's major humility. That's being open to reality. That's not telling God, you know, what you are and are not going to accept from Him as, as His voice. Uh, that's really being open to the voice of God. So we pray that today, um, and always we would have that same kind of attitude that same heart, that same humility, that same openness to the voice of God so that we, we don't harden our hearts as the psalmist says.